Glory to God. Well, it's so good to see you all out tonight, man. What a, what a trial to come out on a nice sunny day. You know, I, I, I still I, I say this over and over, but I'll keep saying it. I have this theory that, that you know, if you want to have good weather, just start a church on Saturday nights, and you can ensure that every Saturday night throughout the summer will be good. Amen. Praise the Lord. But uh, I'm so thankful that you all came out, uh, the faithful, you know, hungry and uh, thirsty for the things of God. But, uh, you know, God is leading us. He's, he's directing us. You know, there's times where we have correct. There's time where we have direction. There's time where we get all kinds of different kinds of things, but we know that God is trying to do something in us. Amen. And one of the things that I've learned, uh, and I was meditating and on this, thinking on this this week, some, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes God has to take us through quite a process just to see something. And you know, God is patient. He's okay with it. Sometimes we're not patient. I know in myself, I'm not patient. You know, sometimes I've gone through things where I'm like, man, I've gone through this for so long, or I've seen this, or I haven't seen this, or whatever for so long. And then God finally gets me to a place, sometimes after years of, of, of going through these things, he'll finally get me to a place where, where I start to get some breakthrough. Amen? And what I mean by that is I start to see something the way that I needed to see it. And I start realizing, oh man, I, had a, I, w I was missing it in that area. And I don't feel bad about that. I actually, I'm just thankful that he got it across to me, you know. Sometimes if it takes years, and I'm telling you, some things have taken decades for God to get through to me. But praise the Lord, he's got him through to me. Amen. You know, and I, I love that in the process of that, you know, I've failed many times. Uh, and, and in the process of doing this, and, and I really want us to understand that. In the process of doing things, we're going to fail. We're going to fall short. We're not going to make the mark every single time, and that's okay. God isn't uh, uh, mad at us for missing the mark. We have to get over that, yeah. and we have to get over that fairly quickly. Yeah. Because if we don't get over that, what that does is that keeps us right in that bondage that the devil likes, us to, keep, likes to keep us in. Yeah. You know, the bondage is not that you failed. The bondage is not that you're imperfect. The bondage is when you get your mind all wrapped up in your imperfections. Yeah. Amen? Now, when I'm talking about imperfections, I'm not talking about blatantly doing something against what God said. But what I'm talking about is when you miss it. You know, when, you, when your heart has been right and you know it's been right, but you missed it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just missed it? Amen. And so we, we, can, we can feel um, confident in God that he who begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. And so I can be confident that even though some things, and I realize some things took even nearly 20 years for God, and actually some things he'd been working on me longer. Almost three decades, I can say that. Some things I, I, I just haven't figured out yet, probably at four and getting closer to five decades. But, but at any rate, you know, God is getting things through to me. He'll get things through to you, amen. We just got to not give up, keep pressing into him, and we'll, be excited. We'll, we'll get right where he wants us to be, amen. Well, praise the Lord. But tonight's message is called, When We Miss It. Hallelujah. And, um, you know, uh, again, you know, this is, uh, this is a message that actually I, you know, I had again in the, sometime in the middle of the week. The Lord gave it to me, and I believe that it was for this church, you know. And, and, and I really, you know, the things in this are really helpful to us. But tonight, this message is really, you know, it's kind of, it's really directed towards people of the faith, people who are already Christians, you know. Um, now, of course, it can apply to uh, unbelievers as well, but the, the, the heart of this message is really directed towards believers. Um, you, you know, because there, there's some truths here that uh, I, I believe that the Lord really wanted to get over us. So, so there's two kind of scriptures that we're starting on. Uh, uh, one is over there in uh, Acts 16.31. So let's go ahead and flip there first. Amen. Amen. Acts 16. Did I say 16? Acts 16, verse 31. And of course, this is after, uh, you, you know, the, the prison was broken open, shaken open, hallelujah, and uh, uh, the jailer was going to kill himself because he, the people were getting out, you know, or he thought everybody was going to get out. And they said, no, don't kill yourself uh, because, uh, you, you, you know, uh, we're all still here. Amen. Praise the Lord. So God did this miraculous thing. And then we get down to this place here where we see this, this man being repentant. Um, and actually, I, I want to start, uh, there's verse 31 is really what I want to get to. Um, uh, oh, let's see here. Yeah, let, let's just back up to uh, uh, verse 30. Uh, the, the jailer said to them, he said, and, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
<clears throat> now that word saved is a word that's going to come up a lot. The word means, uh, the, the, the word is, in, in the Greek is the word sozo. If, I don't know if you've ever heard it before. And maybe uh, we'll, we'll talk about, but it really is an expansive term. It doesn't just mean, you know, saved for salvation <clears throat> in the sense of that we get to go to heaven someday. But that word is used, and it's used a couple times in some of the scriptures that we're going to use here. Uh, but, but, but it's more of a, it's, it's more than just that. It's to, you know, to save from destruction. Of course, it's it's to save from persecution. It's like to bring about uh, any kind of saving, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, process. It's a saving process. Amen. And so uh, to be saved, I really think it's imperative that Christians see salvation as not just being this one-time thing that we receive. And that we look forward to the day when we when that manifests for us. But salvation is something that happens. It can happen. You can have salvation in a moment of trial or distress. You can have a, a, a salvation in the moment of being lost. Um, salvation can be a process through life too. Now, I'm not saying that that we have to look at salvation as something that we just walk in and out of in the sense of you know do we get to go to heaven because that's not the truth and we want to be careful about that. But the reason I'm saying these things is because this word saved really implies so much more. Yeah. You know, and what the, really, when you see uh, the jailer needing this, this salvation, he actually, at this point, he doesn't even know what salvation is about. And so when he's presenting this, this jailer, this man didn't even know that salvation was about eternal salvation. Yeah. But he, he, he wants to be saved from his situation. He wants to be saved from that which is going on around him. Amen? And so we, uh, it, it really helps us to understand that. And when we think of salvation, I really think that it would, it, it would do us good to think of our salvation as more than just eternal salvation. Yes, that's included, and yes, that's important, and yes, we need to hold on to it, hold on to it every day. But when we talk about salvation, we really need to extend it more and understand what salvation in the life of a believer really looks like. Amen? Glory to God. And it says, and so he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I love how he, how he gets answered. They said to him, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, this, this, this concept is also something else that I've studied out, you know. Um, you know, there's an argument in the faith about once saved, always saved. Is that real or is it not? And, you know, I know there's lots of debates on back and forth uh, on it. And I love what one, uh, one uh, specific apologist said. Uh, I think he answered it probably the best way you could. He said, he, he said, this I can assure you, there will be no unbelievers in heaven. Yeah. Amen. And so that makes it pretty simple to kind of dispel some arguments there. We can stand on one side or the, uh, or the other on that. Um, but, 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 you know, uh, this, this guy is looking for salvation in his moment, his moment of distress, his moment of need. The reason that he was going to kill himself is because he knew that if these people got out of the prison, that the death he would face for him letting them out, so to speak, was going to be much greater than anything he could just do quickly. And so when he's, you know, in his mindset of just how, you know, how can I get saved? What must I do to be saved? You know, it, it really is momentarily thinking. And when you're going through an issue or you're going through a trial, that's what you're thinking of, right? You're thinking about, and I really don't, this, none of this stuff that I'm saying to you is anything that I planned here. And so this isn't even going in line with the full message that I, that I had planned. But uh, it's good nonetheless. It helps us. Um, but he's thinking of this momentary, uh, this momentary uh, uh, affliction that he's dealing with that he wants to be saved from. How easy is it for us to be caught up in momentary afflictions? Is there anybody who's done that this week? You know, I can tell you, uh, we probably all have. In fact, one of the things that the Lord has been really helping me with is dealing with my moment to moment, right? About how to think right about my moment to moment. Because sometimes you ever have moments where you just don't feel right about anything? For no reason? You just don't feel good about it? But God is, you know, and, and really this does end up working. And now I'm seeing the connection here as I'm preaching it. But this does work into what we're talking about. We're going to get there. And maybe if we don't finish today, we'll go on to next week. But, but there, there's more than just the moment to moment. We have to understand that. And God was, is always thinking about the bigger picture. This is why sometimes when we're seeing suffering or trial or whatever, we get caught up in that moment, seeing the suffering, seeing the trial, but we don't see the whole picture. 
God wants to bring the whole picture into play. And when we understand the whole picture, the moment to moment gets a little bit easier. Actually, it gets a lot of bit easier. Amen? But he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And this is an important statement for a couple things. There's a lot of things in this little statement, and we're going to break it down a little bit here. Amen? First, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say believe in Jesus one time. But he is talking about the salvation that the Bible talks about, the salvation which is the life that Jesus came to give us, the John 10, 10 life, right? Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That's John 10, 10. What is that life? The abundant life is a life of saving. It's a life of being saved. It's a life of living salvation, amen? And this is what God has provided for us. But... It, 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 but the thing is, is it, that it doesn't just come from having believed, it comes from believing. Our salvation day to day is in our believing. How many times, uh, you, you, you know, people have given up early and missed what, 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 what their salvation was? I mean, just a natural life. You don't even have to have God in the picture to understand that. How many times people, if they had just lasted one more day or one more hour, if they had just pressed through one more time, they would have gotten to their breakthrough. And in a rational mind, that's easy. But a lot of times, trial gets us into that place of not having a rational, rational mind, doesn't it? It gets us to that place where, where we're, we're not thinking rationally. And that's why we need to hear these voices, right? Praise the Lord. But he says something important. So he's talking about a continuing salvation to continually believe, to, to keep that place. Because, you know, you may be saved from this trial, but you're going to have another trial. There's going to be more opposition. You may got past this opposition, but there's more opposition coming. Amen? And it's not a lack of faith to have opposition. In fact, any, if there's anything that can point to someone having faith, is more opposition sometimes. Right? So it's not a lack of faith to have opposition. It's not a lack of faith to feel opposition. It's not even a lack of faith to cry over opposition. What's a lack of faith is to stay in crying over opposition and never getting over it. Now, this is what you have to understand. This is totally a mindset. The Bible knows this, God knew this, and we should know this. Staying in opposition or staying under the effects of opposition, not overcoming, is only a mindset. God has given us everything we need to, he has provided us with everything we need to overcome. He has provided us with everything we need to overcome. We just have to trust him for it. Amen? But he says something here that is really important. And before, before we flip over to our next scripture, which goes right along with this, I want you to focus on this, you and your household. Now when he says this, he wasn't giving the guarantee to this uh, jailer that if, 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 if he got saved, if he believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus, that automatically everybody in his household will now become Christian. Because that's not the way that it works. But that's not what he was talking about. But what he was talking about is because this jailer, he was referring to this place of authority that this jailer's in. Now this jailer, obviously, to be a jail, to be in charge of the jail, you have to have some kind of authority. But it wasn't wrong in that culture to also expect and believe that that man also had authority over his household. Now what does it mean when, when someone has authority over their household? It doesn't mean that you get to dictate to everybody exactly what they do. That's not true godly authority. Now, in some cultures, that is the authority, and some people have adopted that, but that's not what it means to lead a household. What it means to lead a household or to have authority over a household is to be the one who is the first to go out and be the example to the rest of the household. That's what it means. So, so fellas, I'm just going to talk to you. The Bible does talk to us about being the heads of our household, and that is true, but it isn't true so you can command your spouse and what to do, it is true so you can lead your spouse by way of example. And it's true so you can lead your children by way of example. And this is exactly what is being told to this jailer here, is that if you live a godly life, you will lead your family to salvation through your example of salvation, of living it. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4.16. We are talking about, remember, the name of the message tonight is When We Miss It. 1 Timothy 4.16. Glory to God. Now, wives, what's your job to do in this? As far as that goes, pray that your husband don't miss it. Instead of complaining, spend your time praying. Amen? Instead of, uh, instead of nagging, spend your time complaining. 
Why? Because there's, there's, there's a certain way. The same thing, you know, this actually goes out and it goes into larger, uh, larger arenas as well. This can be the same thing as your, uh, on your job with your boss. It can be the same thing in a church with your pastor. Uh, if you're expecting me to be perfect, you're, gonna, you're, you're going to be um, uh, very disappointed because my wife, as my wife just said, I'm not perfect. <laughs> she just let everybody know. They're like, listen, you are going to be disappointed if you expect that. Amen. No, she wasn't saying that. I'm just kidding. But uh, praise the Lord. But, you know, it's, it's the absolute truth. Um, if you're looking for perfection, you're never going to find it. If you're looking for it in a church, you're never going to find it. We don't look for perfection in people. We look for God's perfection and God, God's perfecting. What, we look for his perfecting in people. Amen? Hallelujah. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Amen. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, I've preached to a lot of people before, a lot of people, and I can't guarantee you that everyone I've preached to is saved today. No. Now, is that because I preached the wrong doctrine? I don't think that's the reason it is, because it's, it's, not talk, it's still not talking about that, uh, that, that everybody automatically gets saved who hears, because everybody has a choice, amen? But uh, it, it is talking about uh, presenting things in such a way, being the example, again, and here we see it in the terms of towards a pastor, because Timothy was a pastor. Paul was writing this letter to Timothy as a pastor, telling him how to pastor the sheep. But notice what he says, even before the doctrine, he says, pay a clo close attention to yourself. Amen? Now remember, what we're talking about here is when we miss it. As Christians, Hallelujah. The way a Christian lives absolutely matters. <clears throat> While we waffle in weakness, we have to ask ourselves, what is at stake? Yeah. Now, I am not, I'm going to give you a little, uh, a, a little bit of a, a jump start on some of this message right now. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. So if you take it further, then you, you, you've heard me wrong or I've said it wrong. But this is not what I'm intending. I am not trying to preach a way of you feeling condemned and convicted because you're not living right. But I am trying to encourage you at the importance of living right. And so everything I say from this point is, is in that line of encouraging you to live the way God has called you to and in the direction that he's called you to, to live. Praise the Lord. Because that absolutely matters. Now, if you miss it, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you're wrong for missing it or you're horrible for missing it. But the reason that I'm encouraging you to do it right is because if we don't do it right, if we don't put a premium on it, we won't live right. And what happens when we miss it in that case is people will not be saved. People will not look to us and say, hey, that's a life I want to model. That's a life that I want to copy. That's a life that, like, uh, uh, I, my life is a disaster, but your life, you know, is a disaster too. And see, we have to understand this, and, and this is the point, that I, the reason that those two scriptures are there first, is when Christians embrace failure, listen to what I'm saying, I am not talking about when you fail because you missed it. I'm talking about when you embrace failure. So in the title of the message, when I say we miss it, I'm not talking about things when we just screw up once in a while or we just didn't hit the mark or whatever. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. We have to get over ourselves. And one of the reasons we have to get over ourselves is because just what I am talking about, if we don't, we won't embrace, we embrace failure. And what happens is we don't lead anyone else to God. We don't become the example that God has called us to. Amen? Now, in this is also the truth of when we, when we purpose or we, we live the way opposite. You know, I've heard a lot of Christians over the years try to explain away things that the Bible clearly tells them not to do. There's whole churches that are based on this now. They've gone completely one way and they're preaching things that are, are completely unbiblical because they've embraced a culture that's wrong. But I've seen Christians do this, and that is the prerequisite, pre, the prerequisite, I can't even say it, excuse me, I'm stumbling over my words, but you know what I mean, the, the precursor to doing the thing 
the, the, the bigger thing. If you want to look at salvations, what, where salvation's won and lost, it's first in Christians that, 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 uh, that, that they become complacent in their Christianity. That they become lax and, you know, one of the things I was telling my wife, we were talking about this, uh, there was this one little thing, there was this one thing that I was doing and it was, uh, uh, it, you know, it wasn't even that big of a deal. I mean, uh, you, you know, 30, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. I say 20 years ago because that's really before we started really serving God and stuff. I wouldn't have thought twice about doing it. It was, it was something that most people in the world wouldn't think twice about doing. But I did this thing and instantly I was convicted, but it got me into kind of a situation. And I got into the situation and it was interesting because... I, I felt awful, like I did the worst thing in the world, and it really wasn't that bad compared to the world standards. In fact, most people wouldn't even blink it. They think that's it, you know, and, and for whatever reason, I'm not going to tell you all that it was. It doesn't matter. But it was just one of those things. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was in my conscience. Yeah. And what I said to my wife is I got to the place where I was so convicted about it that I, I, I had one choice. I was either going to go on with the conviction or I was going to repent and so I finally went before the Lord and I said, Lord, I've got me in this mess. And I know that I'm wrong, right? Yeah. And, and this was the thing. Up until then, I was like, is it wrong? Isn't it wrong? Is it wrong? Isn't it wrong? The whole time inside, I'm feeling it's wrong. Yeah. I'm not feeling good about it. I'm not feeling right about it. And even if that's my own mind, it still don't feel right. And I'm embracing it, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, I, I finally went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I believe it's wrong. I made a mistake. But what do you want me to do about it now? Because now I'm in this mess. Now I'm in this situation. What do you want me to do about it? And you know what? He let me go with a lesson. And I was real thankful for that. I repented and instantly that pressure left. But what the lesson that the Lord taught me out of this is this. Is that when it comes to my conscience, I have to keep my conscience clear. If I do something that's wrong, I have to repent. That means I have to change. I have to go back and do something about it. I have to get it right. But see, what so many Christians are doing is so many Christians are, they see things in the scripture, but then they find a way to skirt it. And they, they, they'll tell themselves, tell it to themselves and other people enough that they'll almost start convincing themselves of it. They even know there's that little thing on the inside of them that's going, eh, probably isn't the best thing. And they know it isn't. They'll, they'll hide it. They'll keep it from people. They don't want to make, they don't want to make it a thing. They don't want to, they, they, they don't even want to get it. They'll just be secret and they'll smile and they'll be happy and, or pretend they're happy or whatever, but they'll just keep suppressing that. You see, if you do that with your conscience, what you're going to do is you're going to kill the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And what I mean by killing it is this, is you're going to kill your ability to listen, to hear the Holy Spirit. And, and, and in what you're doing is you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail as a Christian doing the greater work. And we want to be very careful about doing that, amen? The way a Christian lives matters. We can't just be weak all the time. And I'm not even talking about just sinful, maybe we're doing this thing or that thing that's sinful. But I'm talking about, how about this? How about constantly embracing being broken and defeated? I'm not talking about feeling broken and defeated. I'm talking about embracing being broken and defeated. This is, this is the way it is. This is the way that I am. This is the way that it's going to be. Yeah. That's embracing it. Embracing it is not like, oh, I feel it. Shoot, I feel things all the time. There's nothing wrong with feeling. I feel bad often. There's lots of times when something happens, I don't feel good about it. I don't like this. There's times I wake up, you ever woke up with no reason, and you just feel depressed? Yeah. I mean, as a person who's dealt with depression over their life, that's something that, that happens all the time. But I decide what to do with that. Yeah. You decide what to do with that. You can sit there and embrace it, and say, or you can walk yourself through it and say, well, wait a minute, I don't have any real reason to be depressed. But then furthermore, if you, if you exalt the truth, then you start, it starts pulling you away from that place. See, what happens is, is when we embrace the thoughts, I'm depressed, this is the way it feels, I'm never going to get out of it, so I'm embracing this. See, in the world, we can expect that. In the world, you can expect that there's no hope. They don't have any hope. Brothers and sisters, we are not in the world we have been called out of the world. We are different by our new nature. Unless you don't believe the word. And if you don't believe the word on that, you got a problem. Because if you want salvation, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have to believe the truth, which is his word, which says we are new creatures created in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Not by our ability, but by his. 
So it doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter if you can't. I can't all the time. And so I don't. But he does. And I have to commend him for it because he does a pretty good job at doing what I can't do. Right? And God does a pretty good job at doing what you can't do. And so we have to understand, we have to embrace the truth, which is the reality of the word, which is we are new creations. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's who we are. That's not who the one sitting next. Don't look at the one next to you. Amen? I'm not saying anybody is. I'm just saying don't, you know, I'm saying meta, like metaphor, the idea of don't look at the, you know, maybe there's, no, you are. And if you're not, you need to get saved. And we can tell you how to do that. Just come up to us and let us know. But I think everybody in here is saved. Yeah. Amen? Amen? You know the way. Glory to God. And so you have to embrace the truth. But embracing the refusal to embrace that reality. And, you know, I've often said this about people that are, are, are contending for others. You know, they want to see the world. Is there anyone in here that doesn't want to see the world saved? I think everybody does, right? We all want to see the world saved, right? But think about this. Why would they be saved? Why would you expect them to be saved if you come up to them and you're always like, you're, you're, you're always down and broken and always hurting and always this and always that? I understand what it's like. I'm not saying that you can't feel those things. I'm saying feel those things and then get over them. Feel those things and then move on. How do we do that? We do that according to the truth of the word, which says that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Is that true or isn't it? Because if it's not true then all the other stuff about being saved ain't true either. Right. Or at least you can't trust it. Because if, you can't, if you'd start tearing this apart and say, I can't trust this, I can't trust that, I can't do this, can't do that, well, then you're right, you can't, and God can't either. God can't save you if you reject salvation. Right. Yeah. See, he made it so easy, right? Yeah. That he made it so easy. It's right there. Yeah. It's just right, just grab onto it, right? Um, praise the Lord. I love this, uh, a certain commentary that we... Uh, you know, we read many commentaries, but this certain commentary on this section uh, of, of Timothy, 1 Timothy was really interesting. It says, The building up of the saved and the winning of the lost are the purposes for our ministry to the glory of God. Now, I'm going to break there for a second. I'm going to finish it because I want to explain this thing about ministry. We have to remember that, yes, there is a minister. Like, I'm a minister in the sense that I am a, uh, a pastor, so I'm a minister, and I preach to people, and that matters, and that's exactly what Timothy was. But does Timothy apply to anybody other than pastors? Of course it does. Because all Scripture, we are told, I think that's also, it was either First or Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, all Scripture is given by divine inspiration, right? Given to men for, and is, is good for, for helping us and teaching us. So we understand that even though it's good for the goose, it's also good for the gander, right? It works both ways. And so even though there's principles, of course, for a preacher in, in 1 Timothy here, there's also principles for us as individuals because all of us are called to the ministry. What The word minister or ministry literally just means service. It's a service or ser to serve others, and that's what we're all called to, right? Jesus said the greatest among you or whoever desires to be the greatest among you has to become the least. What does that mean? You have to serve others. And so we're all called to that. There's nobody that's exempt from that. So our ministry is to win the lost. All of us are called to the Great Commission, right? What's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? To, to teach everybody about the gospel, to share that gospel. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. So let's get back out of this. The building up of the saved and the winning of the lost are the purposes for our ministry. Praise God. To the glory of God. But God must work in us before he can effectively work through us. Amen? He must work in us before he can effectively work through us. As good ministers... We preach the word as godly ministers. We practice the word as growing ministers. We progress in the word. Glory to God. And so the question is, who do you minister to? Who do you minister to? You're going to minister to somebody or you're not being a very good Christian. Right? But do you understand this? You can minister things different ways. I can minister you in such a way that you hate me. And I can minister to you in such a way that you love me. I can minister to you in such a way that you can embrace what I'm saying. And I can minister to you in such a way that you want to reject what I'm saying. 
and when and there is nothing that is more causes more people to reject the faith probably than Christians who are hypocrites. Yeah. I'm telling you, Christians are hypocrites. And what's a Christian that's a hypocrite? They're ones that, that talk about the power of God, yeah. the saving power of their Lord, all the wonderful things that Jesus has done for them, and then turn around and ruin it all because they won't live like it. Yeah. Live like it because they still go out and sin. Live like it because they, they sit around and just stew in their unhappiness. Yeah. Live like it because they won't do the things that God has called them to do. Live like it because they won't get serious about the things of God. I'm not talking about missing it. We all miss it. But if missing it causes you to not live right, then there's an issue. Right? There's a problem with that. If missing it one time causes you to get to a place where, you, where you're just like, well, I guess I'm just going to... No, it's wrong. If me missing it causes you to do that as a Christian, causes you to step away, then your faith was built on something very shallow. Because if your faith is built on what I say or what I do, it's built on something shallow, unless what I say or what I do is scriptural. If it's built on that, then regardless of what I do, you should be able to progress along. Right? Praise the Lord. Glory. You, know what, you, you know what is uh, an, amazing, uh, uh, an amazing testimony? You, want, you ready for amazing testimony? Yeah. An amazing testimony is a Christian who is sold out to their belief in Christ, right? Sold out to their belief in Christ, and yet they, uh, uh, and they go through a trial that they didn't do anything to get into, right? Yeah. And they stand through it, they overcome it, because they persevered through it, because they trusted God. Because they sat there and said, you know what, I don't know what the answer is, but I know this, my God will prevail. Right now, you know how many times, because what, where people are looking at you is not when everything is great. They're looking how you respond when everything is wrong. When everything's bad. When everything's stacked against you. That's when people start looking at you and they go, hmm, I wonder how they're going to deal with it now. True faith is not shown when everything is great. I love it, you know, a rich person comes up to you and they talk about their faith for finances. That's stupid. You don't have any faith for finances. A poor person coming up to me and talking to me, now I can see if the person has faith for finances. Do you know sometimes the Lord will allow things to be removed from your life just to see where your faith stands. Sometimes he will allow things to be taken away from you just to see if you'll push through. You claim that you have a belief in God, that you trust God, but you don't know that until you go through trial. You don't know what your faith is until you stand in the midst of trial. I've learned this over and over in my life, and I can tell you it's a verifiable fact. In fact, not only verifiable in my own life, I can name countless other people that have gone through the same thing, including looking to the scripture and pointing it out time and time and time again. Faith does not exempt us from trial. Faith is what we're given to get us through the trial. That's the thing that we look to. It's to say, faith is not about what you can do. In fact, faith has nothing to do with you at all. Faith is all about the one in whom you have faith. It's about God. And when you trust in God, your faith is in him, and you can persevere. It doesn't mean that you just automatically feel better. See, that's what a lot of people are thinking. I'll try this so I can see if I feel better. But you know something? Some days you won't feel better. Sometimes the only, I, I heard this one testimony and I loved it, it was amazing. These people were in the most, these, they were Christian people in, in a war-torn country and they were literally having to flee like in the, in the middle of the night and they were just having to take off and leave everything behind. They couldn't take anything with them and they were threatened. And one, this one woman even said they, that when they left, her mother said they got partway away and her mother said, she said, oh, oh no, she's like, I forgot my husband's medicine, which was used to keep him alive. And they knew by going back that, it, that they, they would probably die. But the daughter said, let me go back and do it. And she, she actually did go back and get it. And she was spared because the Lord protected her through it. But you know, she said, she said something amazing to me that set me free. You ready for it? She said, we prayed nonstop. But the, 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 that wasn't what she said that set me free. Because you know how, how you do, right? Because uh, you hear about prayer and you think of all different kinds of things. Okay, did they pray this way or did they pray that way? You know what she said? She said the most precious thing. She said the only thing we could get out, because we were under such turmoil and such distress, the only thing we could get out is saying Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus. That was their prayer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You ever been there? You ever been to a place where it's so tough 
Do you just, that you, the only thing you can say is Jesus? And certainly the devil will tell you, well, God can't answer that prayer. Oh, really? Do you know the, the, the thief on the cross, he didn't say much more than Jesus. But he called out to him in his time of need. And God heard him. And he set him free as a result of it. Now, he, all his earthly trials didn't end. All the things that he was going through at that moment didn't end. But because he trusted in the one who was the overcomer, he overcame. And you know, a lot of times, you know, it doesn't mean that all of us are going to have to expect the worst, that we're going to have to expect to be martyred or any of these things, because we don't live in that country, at least right now, we don't live in a country that's like that. Perhaps someday we will, and then your faith is going to be tested. You know, to think that this country couldn't go that way, well, I'm going to tell you, it's well on its way there. I said it's well on its way there. It doesn't take much more for it to change to flip that narrative. You know, and, and this is the truth about us, as we're going through these trials, as we're, as we're going through things, how do we come through them? It's not that we, we have all the answers in them, except for one answer, and that's our trust and faith in God. Amen? But that's what the world is looking for, and that's why the greatest t testimony in the world is not the Christian that, that, that walked on water, so to speak, but it's the Christian that, under extreme pressure, didn't renounce their faith in Christ. It's under extreme pressure when they said, you know what, I have no more answers, I have nothing else to give, but I will tell you this, that my God is great and my God will provide and my God will supply and in this life or the next life, it doesn't matter, but God is going to take care of me and continues. Don't you want to know my God? Because see, a lot of times people don't want superficial answers. You know, as a pastor, I've had to come up with lots of answers over the years and sometimes I, I, I came to the place where, where, where I, I had no more answers. I remember a specific time when there was a precious woman of God who was laying there asking me for answers and I had no more answers. No more answers. And the one answer, that, the, the one answer, well, I didn't think that I had any more answers because I didn't, because I didn't, wasn't thinking, I didn't think completely right at the time. And the reason why I didn't think right is because I saw things differently than I do now. But the answer was this, trust in him. Yeah. See, when you have nothing else, when, I mean, I can't make your healing manifest. I can't make your overcoming happen. I can't make things go right for you that were going wrong. But one thing I can say is that you can trust in the one who can. Yeah. That you can put full confidence in him. And when you lay it down like that, that's what the world hungers and craves. Because the world knows that you know, our superficial answers aren't always going to do it. You know, it's easy to talk about healing until you, until you deal with a situation. Praise the Lord. That you, can't be, that, that you haven't found healing on. And you've used every method, right? You've listened to every... My, my wife and I were going through some old books uh, uh, today, some old books we would have used, we used to, might have read at one time, or obviously we did because we had them, and now we wouldn't, even, we wouldn't give them for free to somebody. Praise the Lord. Because it's like method after method after method after method after method after method after method. And if you didn't do it this time, well, then they'll come out with a new book in another year that will give you another method. To, you, you know, meth, me, methodical Christianity... You know, where there's, okay, you try this, this, and this, and it works for a time, and then all of a sudden something changes. That don't work anymore. Have you ever noticed that that seems to be par for the course in Christianity? And you know why? Because every time we point to methods, we point away from God. How about just trusting God? Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's things that we can do, and obviously as we follow Scripture, we can believe in that, and we can trust in that, but that is the, our lifeline. That's what we have to hold to. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. I remember being a Christian who lived wrong, but thought God still loves me. It's, I, I did. I was a Christian who lived. I mean, I was, I, was, I was fully sold out to God, fully sold out to Jesus, but I lived wrong. I justified it. I, you know, I would, this was before I knew my wife, before we came to family church and all this stuff. Back when I was just learning the faith, I was a young Christian, and I came out of the world. In fact, my wife and I were talking about that this morning. I didn't even plan on saying it tonight, but we were talking about this this morning, and I was talking about like, just, like, how wrong I thought back then. And I remember being part, part of these churches where good-hearted people, but man, they were just full of good-hearted people that thought wrong. Because they thought wrong about God, they thought wrong about things, and they would justify things. One person would sin, and they justify, so they justify it for everybody else. And then they open the door wide to sin. And that why? Because it's easier when you can get a bunch of people to sin with you and call it okay. But what does that tell the world? I'm going to tell you what it tells the world. It tells the world that your faith is a bunch of garbage. It tells the world that you're a hypocritical Christian. And so what is the end of all this? Well, the Bible says if you believe in the Lord with all your heart, 
right? That you'll be saved in your household with you, those who hear you, if you watch your doctrine. But notice what he told Timothy when we reflect back to there. Again, I want to bring this out. First he said, take heed to yourself. Make sure you're doing right. Make sure you're doing what you need to do. And if you're not, then you need to start working at fixing that. And if you got a lot of things, when you go to the Lord, say, Lord, which one do you want me to fix first? And work with me on that. Amen? But you got to keep your heart open to it. The problem with Christians is so often they don't fix what's broken, they try to cover it over and justify it. And that's where they lose the world. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Matthew 5. We're going to see this more. You know, I saw this, 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 this meme or video or whatever. It was really funny. And it was, uh, it, it was talking about, of course, you know how they always, you know, they use something out of pop culture and, and, and they uh, import some other idea into it, you know. And it was this one, uh, this one uh, scene from this one show. And uh, these, these guys were doing this thing that were really annoying. And this guy pounds on the windows and he says, uh, uh, he says you got to stop. You just got to say anything. He was just pleading with him, right? And, and, and the caption above it was, this is Paul in most of his letters, or something like that. This is Paul in most of his letters to the churches. You just got to stop, right? Because when you look at the Corinthians, yeah, they were, the, they were like the most spiritual, right? And we always go to the, the Corinthians to talk about our spirituality. 1 Corinthians 14. Oh, my God, we're going to get into some 1 Corinthians 12 and then 1 Corinthians 12, 14. We're going to get into all the, the spiritual stuff. But we have to remember that the letter to the, the Corinthians, by and large, was correction. It was saying, whoa, wait a minute, you're going too far with this stuff. You need to reel it back some. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. You need to get some order in your life. You need to get some things, you know, settled in you. It ain't free for all. And, and you know, a lot of times in the Christian church today, especially in charismatic and, and Pentecostal type churches, that's exactly what we get. We get a lot of people that get excited, and it's easy to get excited, man. I've seen, some, I've seen some videos over the years of people getting real excited. I've partaken in services where people gotten really excited, rolling around the floor, moving all the chairs out, people flopping around like fish, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of feelings that you can have when you're having service, and I'm not saying it's all wrong, but I'm saying if that's what your life is built on, it's built on superficial, shallow stuff that ain't going to last when real stuff comes at you, because I'm going to tell you what right now, when real trial has come at me, the last thing I wanted to do was flop on the floor like a fish. The last thing I wanted to do was dance or run around the room or anything like that. And while I'm not negating those things and saying that you can't do those things and those things can't help us overcome sometimes, what I am telling you is this, that's not the end-all be-all. Sometimes that will be good in a moment. Sometimes the feeling you feel. How many times have you been a Christian that has felt something? Amen? But how many times have you been a Christian that's felt nothing? Because I've been there more than I've been a Christian that's felt something. How many times have you cried out to God and you, you had nothing on the other end? Have you ever had that? Man, we had some friends that, that said to us, they, they supernaturally, God brought them to this country, supernaturally brought them to this country, and amazing, uh, the testimony of how they got here. And he said, then for several years afterwards, silence. But do you trust God? Where's your faith? See, that's the thing, is sometimes we need that silence to see what we need to work on within us. Sometimes we need that, 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 that trial to, to allow us to get to a place where we can see, you know what, maybe my faith is, uh, is a little bit weaker than I thought it was and I, I need to fortify some things. And that's okay. Because if you trust God, the trial, you'll get through it. And what happens is, is God's working those things in you and working those things out of you. Those who are around you sit there and say, hey, you know, they're not perfect but man, they're faring so much better than I am. They, I, they don't even claim to be perfect. You know? Praise God. I'm going to say something to the, to the whole world. Are you ready? Praise the Lord. Fake faith? Bleh. I'm done with it. Fake faith. You know what I mean? Oh, you just got you to fake it till you make it, brother. You start, you start saying a whole bunch of stuff that ain't true and believe in that, and you'll just be fine. But you know something? I've done that, and I wasn't fine. I'd done, my, I, I'd done that right to the point where I realized, you know what? I still ain't good. Praise the Lord. I guess that's my fault. But you know what? My life is a lot happier now. Because in trial, though I go through trial, I know how to go through it. I trust in Him. And you know what's interesting is Paul didn't stop every trial that came his way. Now, I'm not equating myself with Paul. But he is an example to us. 
And Paul didn't overcome every trial the way sometimes us faith people think that he needed to. Right? How did he overcome? By trusting in God. He learned contentment in God. And so there, you, you know, it's just amazing the things that, that when, when you start putting your attention fully in with God, the things that God can transform. He takes a bunch of worthless yahoos and uses them to spread his gospel. That's what all these people were. And that's what they still are. So don't expect yourself to be great. Now, I, I'm not saying, you know, because I'm not saying embrace brokenness. You understand what I mean? I'm not saying to just be like, oh, I'm so broken and, you know, because there, there's that other side of Christianity. You know, one thing I said to Reverend Rich when I was over, over in Europe as I said this, I said, I can tell you one thing about the faith camp that I love is that it gets rid of all the whiny Christians or it's, 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 tended, it's, it's intent, right? Yeah. It's to get rid of whiny Christians. And there's something that's reassuring about hearing someone that's just so full of faith or at least thinks that they're so full of faith that they're, not, that they're not just constantly being defeated. Right. Oh, I'm so desperate. I'm so broken. I'm so hurting. I'm so this. I'm so that. Are you a child of God or are you not? Because if you are, you know that you're not. You might feel broken, and that's okay to feel broken. But that doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody that you are broken. Because if you are broken, then God's word is a lie. I'm just telling you the truth. If you're defeated, then you can't overcome. And if you're defeated and can't overcome, then God's word is a lie. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't mean we can't feel it. So you understand the difference between feeling it and even talking about it. We can talk about it with each other. But we have to get to the place where it ain't hopeless. Hopelessness should, has no part in Christianity. Because the whole faith is built on hope, which is expectation of God. Hallelujah. And so if you miss it a thousand times, you can just have expectation of God tomorrow. And this is what I love about this, the truth of faith and what it's all for. Amen? Did you find Matthew 5 yet? I didn't. Hallelujah. But I get there quick. I promise you. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth. This is what you are. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be, how can it be made salty again? <clears throat> you know, there's a part in the Corinthians, I think 1 Corinthians and... Uh, he's, or maybe second, it doesn't matter, it's in one of the Corinthians, uh, there's only two of them, so, you know, you can get there pretty quickly, but uh, uh, where, where, where Paul was talking about brother going against brother, um, you know, it, taking each other to court over, he's like, can't, you can't even judge, you, you can't even judge amongst yourselves, and he says, you know, you'll, don't you know you'll judge angels and stuff like that, but he says something that's interesting here, and it comes up a lot, he says, wouldn't it be better, and I'm just giving you my paraphrase, but you'll understand the scripture. you probably look it up like even with my paraphrase and get it in Google. But uh, uh, he says, wouldn't it be better to allow yourself to be defrauded and just let this matter pass, you know, basically to get over it? Wouldn't it be better to just be, defra be defrauded and take the higher road? But man, us Christians, we always want to prove a point, don't we? Yeah. Especially American Christians because we're Americans, darn it. We have rights. And we want our rights. We want everything to go the way we want it to, right? But, 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 but we aren't Americans more than we are Christians. Well, some are, right? But that's not what we're called to be, you know? We're called to be Christians first. What happens if all those rights are taken away? All those rights are an illusion. They put them out there and they say that you have them, but you really don't. They can be taken away from what happens if all of a sudden the government says no more rights. Sure, people will fight, but it ain't going good for you. You know what I mean? You might fight back, but as, as our president recently said, ready? Oh, you know, what, what, what's, a guy, you know what's a guy with an AR-15 against a, a, a I, I can't remember what he said, what kind of helicopter, what it was. Well, yeah, that's a pretty stupid thing to say, but he said it, amen, and a lot of people are trying to call, call him out on it, but it's the truth. You know, when it comes down to it, what's, what, what, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to pea shoot? You, you, you know, a machine gun? At a machine gun? A guy with a machine gun? You're going to, you know, regardless of what you got, what militia you belong to, or anything like that, you know what I mean? You know, of course, I'm saying that joking. But regardless of those things, my point is, is this, is that the, 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 the power is not with you. There's only an idea of power that's with us. 
But we know that that idea of power isn't really solid anyways. Amen? Some people might call me a conspiracy theorist. I'm just, I think, I, I, I just like truth. Amen? And so when I realized that, you know, and realized that these things, all this stuff, well, praise the Lord, that's another conversation for another time. But, but, but what do we really have against these other, uh, uh, we have God. We have, we, we have the direction of God. We have the protection of God. We have the, 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 the spiritual edification that the Lord wants to give us through his word. So that's what we need to stand on, not our ability to, well, shoot, our ability to do anything. How about feed yourself? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Praise the Lord. I, I didn't know how bad it would be until we had power go out for 24 hours a couple months ago. And it was almost like we didn't know what to do. Right. Oh, we were fine for the night. You know, we made it through and everything. But don't think I wasn't thinking about the food that could spoil at any point in time if it didn't, you know, if we didn't open the fridge at all. Don't think that I wasn't stressing a little bit when I couldn't shower for church the next morning, right? We couldn't come to this church that night. You know, all these things were revealed to me and I really saw how weak I was, how ill-prepared I was. And if you think you're prepared for anything, you probably won't be. But we can be prepared for trial if we have faith in God, Amen. But we are supposed to be examples of this on this earth. But how many people, they would rather fight somebody over something that's worthless and be a bad, uh, a, a bad example to the world of a Christian? I'll tell you the story. I've told it to you before. I'll tell it to you again. There was this time when I was, uh, you know, I was, I was away and I was doing something and I just didn't, you know, I was, when you pastor in, in a town, you have to keep a certain level of appearance. There's just a truth to that. You have to be mindful of people all the time. And sometimes that can, that can, because people judge the church based on that. Now what that means is it doesn't mean I compromise, but what it means is, is I, I can't just go to the store in pajamas because everybody's like, that slob is the pastor down at that church there if somebody sees me or something like that. You know, and that's a big thing with some people. So I have to be, keep a mindset like that. And so sometimes when I'm away, there's a feeling of a little bit of relief, like, oh, I ain't got to worry about all this stuff right now. And I remember one day I wasn't, I was, I was, you know, I travel just like the rest of you do, and I'm not real happy about it when I do. And so when I was traveling, I was, I was kind of grumpy and stuff like this. And then I had this thought. I think I was dealing with a waitress or something like this, and I had this thought. It doesn't matter. They don't know I'm a pastor. And then the Spirit spoke on the inside of me and said, why don't they? That was a good question, right? Why doesn't the world know who I am? Why, why does it matter if I'm in California or if I'm in New York or if I'm overseas or whatever? It does matter. And see, that's the point, that mindset that it doesn't matter because they don't know me because I'm out of my element was extreme correction to you. Now, you may look down on me. I hope you don't. But if you are, you know, you, you're doing that too. You know what I mean? We, we all do that. That's something that we all get into that place. Well, they don't know who I am. You know, how about when you're, when you're in line at the grocery store and they, they uh, uh, you know, the, the person before you, they wouldn't be as nice as you would be and you have one thing and they have 4,000 things and of course there's only one line open and the one line that's open is by somebody who's never run a cash register before and the person ahead of you, oh, what's that? What's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or, or something like, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, you know, they're just going through and can you do this and can you do that and all this stuff and you just, want, you just want to get your one thing and go. And, you know, you're sitting there thinking, or how about this when you're dealing with the waiter or the waitress and they weren't very pleasant to you. Yeah. But, you know, your right was because you paid for it, then they need to treat you a certain way. How about letting yourself be defrauded? You know what I mean? We're the, salt and the, we're the salt and the light to the earth. We're getting into that here. But... I'm talking about super, kind of these things that really don't matter a whole lot but do matter. But Christians are doing a lot worse than that. Yeah. There's Christians that are blatantly living in sin and they're being terrible examples of salt. There's tasteless salt yeah. to the world. And they think that they're doing something because they show up at church and they smile and they do all the things that they're supposed to do. But the truth of the matter is they're not. What happens when we miss it? Right. What is at stake when we don't live on guard. And some of us will sit there and say, well, it can be tiring living on guard all the time. Yeah, you're right. But we only have so much time here. Now, I was talking to Caleb today, and I was like, you know, I started realizing stuff. I'm at least probably in the second half of my life. The first half went pretty quickly. I can't believe I'm here. 
But I'm at least probably in this. I mean, if I live on average, actually, it would, I'm pretty much past that. But uh, I, I don't know what the, the, the national average is now. But you, you understand, but give or take. I mean, even if I, if I only live uh, 40 more years, I've, I, 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 it's a, that's a good long life, right? Right? 87? 86? What am I? Almost 87? It's a good long life, right? And nobody would probably feel bad unless you're 87 and you want to live a few more, you know, and something like that. But, but you know what I'm saying? And, and I think about that, but I, like as I go, I realize how, how pressing the time is. And it's like, how much time have I wasted? And, and I've been caught up in all these things at different points. And sometimes I was caught up in this mess and I was caught up in this. And it was like, when I was all caught up in that, I wasn't thinking about salvations. You know, when you're standing in the DMV line for three hours, the last thing you're probably thinking about is salvations. But it's a reality. You're salt there. No different than you are when you're at church. No different when you're witnessing. When you get that one chance where you witness and it's all perfect. You know the chance I'm talking about. The one that happens once in a great while. But God's called us to do it all the time by how we live. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Why do you think Jesus was giving us these examples? You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. Which men? All men. Any men. Women. Non-women. Whatever man. You know, just like men. That's what it's talking about, mankind. Let our light shine. You know, we have these things called social media, and I don't know how many Christians use them to be a, a, a dumping fest. You know, and it's just like, dear Jesus, here's an example, something you could use to not, and, and you know, there's other people that go too far with it, and they're like, they're on there preaching all the time and trying to, trying to, to, to show everybody how, how, how spiritual they are and stuff like that. You know, you, you know and that, that's another side of it, you know, but there's, there's, there's these extremes, and we see these things, and we need to consider all this stuff. We need to consider what, what am I putting out in the world? And I'm just telling you right now, if we're Christians that aren't putting out good stuff in the world, we have a, there's a problem. Yeah. Why, why is the world not being one? Well, people, you know, they'll sit there and argue about abortion. I hate abortion as much as the next person. But the problem ain't abortion. You get people living morally right and abortion will cease to exist. Why? Because they're living morally right. That's the truth. The problem is not that. The problem is the morals. The problem is, I mean, that's the end result of living a moralist life. I lived that life, I know. I didn't have, you know, I couldn't have an abortion, but I didn't partake of that either. And I'm not coming down on people that have, but the point that I'm trying to make is this. That so often we're talking about the, 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 we're talking about the thing that's the problem, but we don't get to the heart of it because we're distracted by the thing that's there in front of us. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to, to, to speak out about things that are wrong and injustices and stuff like that. When we do it, we need to do it led by the Spirit. We need to do it according to the direction of God, not just because we have a soapbox that we think we can stand on because, by God, we're Christians and we're Americans and we have the freedom to say the things that we want to say and do the things that we want to do, and you can't stop me. That's not very good salt, and that's not showing somebody light because Jesus certainly didn't do that. You know who Jesus went after? Well, we're going to get to that, but Jesus went after the religious ones. No, he didn't let the ones that were sinning go and just say, oh, you're good to sin. I'm not saying that either. So don't take what I'm saying out of context and put it in a context that it didn't belong in. That's not what I'm saying. But when you see Jesus being harshest, he was being harshest to the ones who thought they were religious and the ones who needed the most correction. Amen? That's why he's saying what he's saying. Here, let your light shine before, uh, shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I love this. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. You guys want to know what that is? Um, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly. That's what that means. That's what Jesus did. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. What he did was he showed that some, he was showing that he could do it to be perfect. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Um, so he wasn't just throwing it all out, and he says that here. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know what's interesting about this? I look, you know, if you look at an older version, you might have seen it as jot and tittle. Uh, and, and, and I always think of it that way. Not one jot or one tittle will pass away, you know. Um, and I read this in the commentary. I thought this was pretty interesting. A jot uh, is equal to an apostrophe. And a tittle is equal to the line like that would make a P, a, a capital P, a capital R. You know that little? That's a tittle. That, that would be the same as a tittle, right? And so when he's saying that one jot or tittle or what, what, one little bit of this will pass away, meaning that it's, we're not racing and we're not doing away with this. Amen? Praise God. What do I mean by that? That there's still requirements that religious people are called to live by. Now, the law of love, of course, we know is the most important, and that is the one that's exalted. But you just look at the other things. You look at all the stuff. If you start looking through all, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the law that God gave, look at the Ten Commandments. You can see love in all of them. Yeah. Like if you covet your neighbor's whatever, whether it be their, or their, yeah, I'll just leave it to that, because I, I was going to get King James on them. But praise the Lord. Um, whether it be their spouse or their, uh, you know, the, the other things that they have. Yeah. I don't want to say that, though. I, wanna, I really want to be King James here. I really want to, just want to get it out good. Amen? Besides, it's less letters. And, and praise the Lord. But, you know, uh, you know, obviously those things come down to love and stuff like that. But what we do is we show, Jesus wasn't giving us license to go out and live sinful lives. He wasn't saying, okay, okay, because I came and my blood washes you clean, that you can just embrace whatever you want. And we see Christians doing this over and over and over again. It's actually made a huge mockery of the faith. And what is that? It's exactly against what I was preaching in the beginning in the book of Acts and from 1 Timothy about other people being saved. Yeah. There are other people that are connected to our salvation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's your spouse. I don't know if there's anybody, I think everybody in here has got uh, their spouses here. Most, you know, you don't understand. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's friends, maybe it's neighbors. It doesn't matter what it is. It matters what we show them. Right. You know, I, I think about this, how many times I've, uh, at family functions, it's easy to just get in to be the same old Jeff, right? And I thought over the years, there's been many times over the years where I'd start doing something because, you know, this way or that way. And then I'll, I remember all of a sudden getting convicted because I'm like, this is what they're seeing. They're not seeing, they're not seeing a man of God. They're seeing, you know, and I'm not trying to show people pastor anyways. I'm show, trying to show people a man of God. Because even as a pastor, that's all I really care about is to show people a man of God. But, but, but what am I showing people in my life when they look at the inward parts of my life? When I, you know, when I, uh, when, when I joke with them, when I do things, all, all of these things, you know, God hasn't called me and freed me to sin. Yeah. But what's at stake? Um, praise the Lord. And we get into this here because he says, uh, forever, uh, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many Christians today are modern Pharisees in their actions. They talk about this Lord. They may even share it. They may even post things. They may, whatever. But... The way that they live their lives is completely opposite of the faith that they profess. And we have to be very careful. This has to be a serious thing to us. Not to go around pointing it out, but to look inwardly and say, Lord, am I living up to what you've made me, do, what you've made me to be and what you've done in my life? Am I doing justice by that? Now, justice doesn't mean doing it perfectly, but it does mean, you know, recognizing that, wait a minute, I have a higher standard to live for. You know what gets me through? God did the greatest thing to get me right, to make me a pastor. I'm not saying this happens with all pastors or whatever, but it worked with me. You know why? Because all of a sudden I see people that are connected to my life. I see it every single time I want to quit. You know what the Lord shows me? He starts showing me the faces of the people in my church that have been changed. 
starts showing me people that need that, that, that need to be shepherded because people need to be shepherded. And he starts showing me that. He starts showing me the, the, the revelation that he's given me and stuff like that. He shows me my family, brings that all before me and says, this is what's at stake. And it's not that he says this is what's at stake, but he reminds me of these things. That if I don't fulfill God's call in my life, as hard as it can be sometimes, yeah. as hard as the press will be against you sometimes, these are the things that are at stake. And these are just not things that I'm worth, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice. These are just not things that are, you know, when it comes to it, and there's sometimes there's battles within you because you want to go one way, you want to stand on one soapbox, you want to do something because it's right, but the battle in you tells you because your conscience stays right that you can't do that. See, it isn't about me. It isn't about what wonderful things I've done because I've done nothing wonderful. But it's about the wonderful things that God has tried to do in me. And the wonderful things that he's trying to do in you. The things that he's done in you. And the things that he's done in me. Because there are wonderful things. But what God wants to continue doing that. He wants to keep doing that. What's at stake when we won't live to that? And what I mean live to that is this. With a heart pushing to God saying, Lord, at the very least I'll repent. I won't justify. At the very least I'll turn to you, not turn away. At the very least I'll press through, not give up. At the very least... I'm going to make it because he made it. Right. Hallelujah. Because he made me able to make it. Glory to God. <clears throat> Many Christians know the lingo. They look the part, but they don't live it. Wow. I've met Christians, man, they can rattle off a whole bunch of stuff. They can say a whole bunch of things. They got the Christianese down pat. Yeah. Right? They can say this and they can say that. They can justify everything with the best of them but they don't live what, what it truly means to be born again. What it truly means to, to, to have made Jesus the Lord of your life. To make Jesus the Lord of your life literally means that you have no control over your life anymore. You've yielded it to him. So every time that you want to listen, we're all working on this. There's areas, I'm, I'm not saying any one of us has arrived, but to keep it as an importance in our life and a, and, and a, a thing that's like, yes, if for nothing else I have to overcome because I want to be a good example. I want to be light. I want to be salt. I want to be what God has made me to be. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, glory to God. We're not going to get into the other scriptures I have just because I did so much time talking about King James' version of donkeys. But uh, praise the Lord. Um, and we'll see, if, uh, we'll see if we get into it more next week. You know, I'd like to if the Lord allows me to. I know that I actually started working on a message for next week already. We'll see if the Lord ha what the Lord has for us. But I hope that you really got something out of this, that you have that understanding. And listen, again, not to, to look down on yourself and say, hey, I missed it in this area or that area, but it's to say to, to, to desire in you to live to a standard that, that a standard that is acceptable in the eyes of God. Because even though none of us can live a standard that, that is acceptable for salvation, we can live to a standard because of our salvation. And we should live. There is a standard that Christians should aspire to because of their salvation. We can't gain salvation by, the, by any standard, but we can live to a standard. Amen? We can allow God's righteousness to have a work, the work that he allow, desires it to be in us. Amen? And focus less on the things that are here and more on the things that are there.